Video, coming to you from Calgary, Alberta, home of Alberta Health Services. I had my first meeting with a dietitian this week. I was really embarrassed going into it because how can you screw up eating food? Turns out sausages are processed meat and oyster sauce is a real sodium heavy sauce. I'm going to need to make some adjustments to future stir fries. I'm Nathan Rohrer and at least I was right to get the no salt added soup and tomato products. I'm joined as always by Ryan McCullough. Hey there, Ryan here. Um, I mean, you, you missed a whole line of your intro. What do you mean? Coming to you from Calgary, Alberta, home of Alberta Health Services. I literally said that. You just spaced out and didn't hear me. Yeah, <laughs> 100% just spaced out and didn't hear you. Yeah. I apologize. I was reading it, but I think I might have read started at the wrong place and then when you caught up to me. It was like, oh, I was there talking he is. about the other stuff. Yeah, I did it fast, but it's totally, it's okay. totally no, in the waveform. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's... So, yeah, sausages are like the definition of processed food. It's like the oldest I, I processed love food that you can ever think. hot dogs, and I can't. I shouldn't eat them ever. Like it's like yeah. no, you shouldn't do that. It's like salted meat in a in a sleeve. Like don't don't do it. It's like, well, yeah, I know, because it's, but... they take meat and then they put all sorts of spices and salt in it, and then they grind it all up and then put it back into it like a. Allegedly spices, but I'm going to say just salt is actually what they're all doing. (laughs) They are definitely putting a lot of sodium in it for sure. At some Uh, point I was looking into like, can I make my own? And I was like, yeah, but it's a huge headache. Like that's why they call it, you know, see how the sausage is made. What did your dietitian say about chicken sausages? Because chicken sausages are are often a little bit better than pork and beef sausages. Uh, I mean, it's it's never as good as just whole food, like just meat. Yeah. But... The percentages are not in your favor. No, 100%. I mean, but... hey, get this. Pickles, also real bad. Yeah, of course they are. <laughs> so the pro tip there was take a fresh slice of cucumber and then splash some vinegar and, like, dill on it to give it that That's what your dietitian told you? Well, it was in a chart of, like, how to pare down. Okay, you but what did you your, di- your digestion was, like, you need to not eat sausages? Or they just said, yeah, there's lots of salt in sausages? Well, the main thing today was, like, a lesson I was part of, like, a Zoom meeting. Okay. So, I, it was not, like, it was, like, a PowerPoint I was watching. Gotcha. I wasn't, so they I wasn't, like, it wasn't, like, hey, you, Nathan, stop eating those, okay. those European well, sorry, that's what it, I, I just felt that in my heart. Because <laughs> okay. when, when, when I sat down with a, a dietitian years ago after my gallbladder surgery, they were, like here's the things you have to avoid if you did them here are things you can help like get through it you gotta cut the biggest thing they told me was like cut down on this like yeah like if you're eating 10 things of high fat foods in a week cut it down to two and you should be fine like i'm still i'm still allowed to eat high fatty foods i just can't eat it to the same quantity or level that i was eating before when i had a gallbladder Right. But I know you it, have a very different situation than this. This is all like sodium monitoring is yes. the thing, which I was kind of doing loosely, but this is like, yeah, just like part of it is if I eat too much salt, I'll get thirstier and then I'll yes. have too many fluids going on, which yes. apparently is bad. I was like, oh, you can't drink too much water. That's fine. It's like, you no, can't drink you, too much water. You shouldn't yeah, eat you're, guzzling you drink, all the time. If you drink too much water, you take out the salt out of your liver. Right, and in my case, I'm just kind of taxing my kidneys more yes. every day, and I, I'm, then I'm losing protein, and I'm not eating enough protein in the yeah. first place. So, I, yeah. uh, what do I do? I love salt, and I do probably eat too much salted things, but I drink a lot of water, which is like my, my balancing point of mm-hmm. like because I don't have the same health issues that you're going through, like mine, or like oh, I can't have fat, so I'm gonna have salt. 
Okay. Type of thing. That's my pivot. Maybe I'm killing my kidneys or my liver, and I don't know. But at some point, potassium is like a, a uh, like you better gotta keep an eye on that. Don't have too much is like a thing for me, which is weird. So you have to but eat more like, bananas. No, no, don't eat too many bananas. Don't eat I'm too saying. many bananas. Like, don't have too much potassium either. There's like a fine balance that I need to find. You know, what I'm else currently is okay, but if I go crazy on like kiwis or something, gotta gotta watch out. You know, don't don't really tip the scale man i don't understand what kidneys do at all it's like my upper percentage of what how much potassium i'm supposed to be getting is lower than everybody else's oh, okay like, so like that i can percentage have a banana of daily a intake yeah and no, and oh yeah fine. go nuts but you, you go, can't have go a banana for it. And a kiwi i should not like i can but don't you know don't have a big festival with a bunch of bananas <laughs> i guess so i <laughs> i still bought some today don't but, buy a bundle, put them on your lap, and just start peeling them one at a time. And, yeah, I cannot just... be Donkey Kong in real life. That's yeah, yeah, not, yeah, That's not my role anymore. Okay. So Yeah, it, yeah. honestly, going to the dietitian was, like, simultaneously, like, heartbreaking, but also, like, oh, okay, there are some answers. So I hope eventually you get to go to one, like, individually. Yeah, this was, like, breaking the ice and stuff. Yeah, was because week. I think yeah. they'll break down some ideas. Hopefully, like, at least they did for me, where I was, like, I was terrified of, like, Wait, no pizza, no hamburgers, no hot dogs, like no high fat foods. That's what my future was. That's right. the way the doctor made it seem. And the dietitian was like, no, that's silly. Like, no, no diet. I, like this week was like, you can eat pizza, but maybe don't don't be the guy with the pepperoni on it. You should you should put like fresher stuff on it. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I I like that stuff too, so I'll just know that. Well, and that's what I did. Like when I eat when I eat pizza now, I don't get pepperoni. I get vegetarian or a Hawaiian is like the one meat pizza I get now is a Hawaiian. Yeah, actually said pineapple is like a good idea. Yeah, which uh, so well, and Americans, ham, but, ham yeah. is has a lower fat content than pepperoni does, obviously. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyways, yeah. So these are all things where they're like, they're like, hey, you can still enjoy some aspects of eating. You just, hey, if you had a pizza tonight, don't order another pizza the next night. And then the next night after that, go to McDonald's. And then the next night after that, go to pizza because you will, like... Yeah, oh, yeah. Just eating out in general is, like, rolling the dice on processed meat business. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And I I think craft singles are no longer part of my lifestyle. That's... Which, oh, I loved how melty they were. I'm going to support that because, like, cheese, real cheese, actual, like, European cheese, like, what Europeans would believe is cheese is better for you as a human being, period. It's true, but man, I love that chemical factory cheese that's like basically That it melts without styrofoam. breaking? Like, that's what it is. It's melting yeah. without breaking. I loved uh, it, so... Yeah, I, I Farewell, old friend. I hate it so much. The only fake cheese I can actually handle is whatever the powder stuff is in KD stuff. Sure. Yeah, craft dinner for life, I guess. <laughs> but... Uh, also sodium that's what i was gonna say i was like i don't think for you though because that that is super high sodium i mean we have like a jar of the powder so i could put less in i guess and try to bolster it with something else okay well so my wife just watched this documentary on netflix about salt and like it was salt fat It was like a cooking show where every episode was something based on some like basic ingredient yeah and it was like the salt episode she walked away with her and her friend watched it and they were both like we're undersalting everything in our culture. <laughs> if we want undersalting, undersalting, yeah, like what? That doesn't sound right. No, no, no. It's like real salt, not like sodium or like the processed salt. It's like 
Like when you have pasta, that water needs to taste like the sea. Like it needs to be just as like. Oh yeah, the pasta water and how to use it properly is is sure. But but even that is like just the amount you're supposed to salt. Like in it, like some in Italian cuisine is crazy high. Like, like you'd see them scooping in these giant like spoonfuls of salt, and you're like, that's probably too much, right? They're like, no, no, keep going. No, you gotta gotta salt this water. Gotta yeah. get, get it going. Like, oh man. And then they kind of incorporate that water in the sauce. That's what I mean, too, right? So, yeah. that's what, so it's like the amount of salt. Yeah, salt's one of those things where I I I, I genuinely. You and I are on the different pages on salt. That's what it is. That's what sucks. Yeah, I gotta walk away from salt, and you're you're trying to figure out ways to enhance your salt <laughs> situation. Which, all right, good luck, I guess. I don't know. Anyways, uh, we're not a salt show. Kind kind of we are, but we're I salty guess. sometimes. I guess we're we get not a salt salty. Show. Yeah. We can be salty. There's often times where we're very not salted. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Sorry to short circuit your transition. I'm Ryan, and this is Nathan. That's right. Uh, this week, we travel back to Halloween 1974 for one of my wife Brittany's favorite movies, The Phantom of the Paradise. Uh, this movie was written and directed by Brian De Palma with music by Paul Williams. He also stars in the movie. Uh, it cost $1.3 million to make, and it did not earn that much money. <laughs> Though Winnipeg, Manitoba sure tried. Uh, it's pretty much the one place on this planet where the movie got an extended theatrical run playing for four consecutive months and intermittently up into 1976. The soundtrack went gold here in Canada, thanks to our Manitoban brethren, and I will always think they are super cool for that. But before we go further, Ryan will run us through this tale. Winslow is a musical prodigy. He, he takes his musical opus that he's created that's inspired by Faust to the music industry's most powerful an influential producer, Swan. Swan then steals Winslow's music and puts his own spin on it, refusing to acknowledge Winslow's authorship. Winslow's life spirals out of control and leads him to become the Phantom of the Paradise. That's right. He gets his head crushed in a record press. In a record press, yeah. Yeah. After so, escaping from Sing Sing, man, which this is movie a nice took little so detail. Long to get to, I, I really like this movie. So that's very, very right off the bat. I really, I really had a good time the whole time with this movie. Okay. Um, but it took a long time for us to get to the Phantom. For an hour and a half movie, I was like, man, this is a thirty-minute mark, and we just we're just now. Is it that to... long? I just feel the first bit is so frenetic that I don't feel it. But yeah, once Winslow kind of transforms into a a mute weird metal teeth monster <laughs> at some teeth. point yeah. uh but it was those early bits where it's just like him dashing all around and kind of in this weird frenzy of like no i'm i'm i wrote this i'm trying to get a meeting with swan what's going on like where i felt the movie was kind of establishing its scope a little bit like it's like him out on the streets him to this location this location and then eventually we're all all the action takes place just in the paradise past yeah. a point so but, i like that earlier section but I, I like that earlier section too oh man i found winslow as compared to the phantom i found the actor uh, i forget his name off the top Will, of the william head. finley yeah. yeah william finley um he almost needed the ma- makeup and mask to match the energy because as winslow he was already playing it super Big. large 
He was playing it really goofy. Yeah. And then yeah. and then I actually felt that when he got the makeup and the thing, he actually started playing it more appropriately because I think he brought it down a bit at that point. <laughs> Which is weird because he's now like murdering people and well, and he's now like the and... over the top silly kind of fun character that he's playing with like the movie monster kind of Darth thing. Vader robot box that distorts his voice type of thing. That's right. That's right. Um, which I, I swear George saw this movie and he was like, I'm going to use that. Oh yeah. I like there, there's a couple like streets ahead pop culture things with this movie where it's like, there's just like heavy breathing and first person mm-hmm. kind of bit where he hasn't gotten his mask yet or his, his outfit. Yep. And it's just, like I know they were friends. Like, do you think? Do you think George Lucas was like, "That's a good idea. I'm just gonna put that in my brain." Oh, 100%. Well, George. Yeah. I mean, Brian worked like helped George in the editing room of Star Wars. Like, they're buddies. Like, Didn't Brian he De Palma, do the scroll. He like, wrote the, the opening. Scroll. He yeah, hated yeah. George's scroll, and Brian De Palma helped him in the editing of the movie. Like, okay. He gave. Okay. He would watch it with George and give him tips on what to do and i guess that that breathing would just be a post-production thing anyway so yeah i'm gonna say yes that happened 100 percent. those guys were all (laughs) in the 70s they were all seeing each other's movies and talking to each other and working with each other like there's no like yeah like i just find it kind of neat that that like nugget from like one of the biggest movies ever came from this like failure from three years earlier you know which kind of makes sense though Winnipeg because movie. George yeah. was like, "Cool, I can steal that idea, and nobody will know." No, like other than a couple <laughs> French kids, no one's gonna know this happened. Yeah, so exactly. Whatever. Um, and people in Winnipeg, Winnipeg people, and are like, whoa, what? This stupid hack of a movie, Star Wars. Yeah, if you look, actually, the box office receipts for Star Wars are a little lower than average. In yeah, Winnipeg because they're, they're like, like, "Well, let's bring I, back I Phantom." Did this three years ago. Um. Okay. So, I was very nervous going into this movie. Mainly because, and I think I've talked about this many times on the show. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a Brian De Palma fan. Like, well, you you've kind of more thoroughly investigated his early career than I have. Like, this is one of his '70s nuggets I've seen. I didn't see like Dress to Kill or any of that stuff, yep. so I haven't seen his more tacky, trashy stuff from well, this era. And Dress to Kill, there's a lot of things you can tell. Dress to Kill is one of those movies, though, where. I can't help but wonder, is he like, is he the guy who saw Psycho and thought Norman Bates looks hilarious in drag? Having somebody be in his mother's clothing is hilarious. Let's make a movie parodying that, but in a serious way. He definitely had a big uh, Hitchcock run there for a while where he was kind of modernizing some of that stuff. But but... then he almost is feeding into like massive transphobia. And then I'm like, okay, this is early in his career. Dress to Kill is pretty early on. It's the 70s. There's not a lot of, like, uh, interaction with people that are uh, transsexual or even, like, people like that, that like to cross-dress. But then he does it again in the 90s. So I'm just like, man, this guy really <laughs> likes this idea. Is that Raising Cane or whatever? Yeah, Raising Cane. For a serial killer is a, is a dude who identifies as multiple people or as a woman. Yeah, he just yeah. finds this to be a, vilifies that very effortlessly. Like he just keeps going to that, keeps which, going to uh, it. And I know again, like Hitchcock did it first with Psycho, but that was the '60s, and that was genuinely shocking for an audience where world was not never seen things like this. Yeah, like nobody. It, saw, it, it seems a bit out of touch as you go on, I guess. Yeah, like in the '70s, I get you might get a free pass on just like the culture. Well, and he kind of does because Dress to Kill is beloved. Yeah. Yeah. Racing Kane is not beloved. 
No, but you telling me about it once was like, dude, I got to see that. That sounds so stupid. And it kind of was. It kind of was. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, you're also a John Lithgow fan, so I think that was... I am a John Lithgow fan, so, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, here, here though, I guess you just get him being really playful yes. with how he's kind of staging and shooting a bunch well, of stuff. And this is the thing, when I was looking into his... Even before Phantom, because this is not his first movie. This is his first, like, real movie is what everybody says. Okay. Um, He's... Like, and the reason why I'm wondering if Dress to Kill is not a parody or a spoof, but, like, in a serious way, just, like, Body Double, he kind of seems like he's a comedy guy. Like, he yeah. was the film student that was making, like, spoofs or, like, goofy movies that are, like, a little more risque but goofy. Sure, or, like, cranked up in some way. Like, yeah. like Body Double is kind of like a Hitchcock movie, but, like, really sultry and Well, and, and dumb and schlocky and just... Yeah, yeah, sleazed but I, out. But I love funny. that though about body double. And then we we were kind of saying like how like the mask and that looks really bad and everything. Maybe he's winking a little bit. Maybe he's goofing with it. That's that's what you I know? that's what I'm sitting here now thinking. But then then I'm like but then I'm like okay well the movies I don't like of De Palma like actively don't like are like his more serious takes because I don't like Carlito's Way. I really didn't like that movie. I, I um, haven't seen it yet. It's just it's too hefty for me to watch lightly because it's like two and a half hours, right? Yeah, now. and it's a hefty movie. Like it's not fun because like yeah. at least and then even Scarface, which I know is not a serious movie, but it like people treat it so like reverently. And I don't it's a, understand. It's a weird one. I, the only like I I think I have it as a pretty low score. It was basically just like a bonus feature for GTA Vice City for me because it's like that game just riffs hard on it. Yeah. So it's just like, oh, I've seen that and been there and done this, and they just kind of, oh, it came from this whole movie. Okay. But yeah, it having like legitimate, like, oh, it's so street. It's so cool. It's like, is it? It's it's really, it's kind of racist and bad. <laughs> it's kind of racist. It's kind of bad. There's way better, like Scorsese, I mean, I guess I watched like, it in the I like Al Pacino, order. but his Cuban is horrible. Like, it's just <laughs> such a caricature of a person. Well, and then, like, like, I, like I was trying to say, like, Scorsese eventually shows up and will do better gangster flicks almost like soon afterwards. Like, yeah. Um, and already had done, like if you want to look at like mean streets and stuff, Yeah, you're right. he's already doing this better. Um, but that's what I mean. So I'm sitting here and I'm like trying to figure out De Palma's career because like, he also has Carrie. He also has mission impossible. You're a massive fan of, uh, untouchables. And, I do like Untouchables quite a bit, yeah. And it's like the, he has some really solid, straightforward movies in there that are not like played for potential laughs in a way. Yeah, I'm trying to think like what's gut busting about Untouchables. <laughs> like, like Sean Connery's kind of like there's some fun interplay with him, yeah. but it's not it's not like wonder, going for gags. I wonder if he really followed that studio model because when I look at all three of those movies, they're around other movies that he made for that studio that he more wanted to make. And and this one here is like an independent movie that was then bought and distributed. Yeah. So it's, it's like un unfiltered. Like he's just getting to be zany in this. Well, and that's what uh, I mean. Like yeah. when I look at mission impossible, which I think is like nuts that they were like, let's get Brian De Palma to make a mission impossible movie. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, but then he got to go make snake eyes afterwards, which was something he wanted to make with paramount. Yeah. I, I, I kind of want to bring up Snake Eyes because I think I see a little bit of the goofy comicry in that movie. It's yes. just kind of bad. But we talked about it with – was it our Nick Cage batch or how did we figure it out? It was out? our Nick Cage batch, yeah, because there's yeah. no other way it would have fit in anything else. 
just there was something even with some of the style choices here like there's like an assassination scene through a scope and everything in this very public place and then like there there's kind of uh first person shots that he's kind of throwing in the mix and stuff it's just like you can see him loving this playbook and keeping it for decades because he's using it in in a bigger budget fashion in snake eyes but it it was here decades ago and he's getting a pretty over the top cartoon performance from Nick Cage in that movie. Yeah, but it's just and Nick movie... Cage, according to IMDb trivia, this this movie, Phantom of the Paradise, is his favorite De Palma movie. So like, oh, him that's not bringing yeah, some of not that. shocking. When I read that too, I was like, oh, that's not shocking at all. That makes like, sense to me. I think he'd like this. <laughs> yes, I think he'd <laughs> yeah. like this. But um, and then I actually when when we were doing the Snake Eyes movie, we were reviewing like the potential third act changes, and that change sounds right yeah the movie we got yeah there was a a crazy flood sequence and everything that got cut out right yeah that's what i mean so i just so i'm just sitting back and like i'm trying to understand de palma as a filmmaker i don't think i've ever really figured him out because there's movies that i i will love and there's movies that i absolutely despise yeah this is i can't even remember the name of that like rooney mara movie from a couple years ago like it was like a decade ago it was pretty bad oh you like walked out of watching it was it rooney mara i don't know you're talking about like the obsession rachel mcadams and somebody else was in it and i think it's rooney i'm pretty sure i think it's obsession or something like that because i do want to look for it yeah no passion it's numi repost that's why you got it confused (laughs) Oh, is it really? Yeah. That's so good. <laughs> yeah, Newbie Repost and Rachel McAdams. Passion? Pa- passion, yeah. Okay, so the other uh, Elizabeth Salander is in this movie. Uh, I remember you just couldn't deal with it anymore and left. Like, I borrowed it from the library and we were all watching it. And you're just like, nope, like 40-minute rule, I'm out. And it's like, all right. And then I finished watching it. I can't tell you what happens. Like, it's not very good. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, yeah he, he's wildly hit and miss, I guess. Because even, like, Mission to Mars, man, like, tell me about Mission to Mars, like... Oh, I, I actually... Okay, so... <laughs> is Don... Does John Cheadle get sucked into a tornado and, like, whipped around and flies apart? Is is he the guy that that happens I've to? I've seen it once, and I, I was really excited for it, and it was... A CG not... alien shows up at the end and, like, explains how they planted, mm-hmm. like, life on our planet. Yes. Uh, via kind of, like, a hologram. And Gary Sinise is there. I, I remember seeing it like twice in short order so some of it kind of stuck more than it should have sure but yeah it's it it's a weird bad thing but i kind of like it yeah i don't know the one the one movie on this list that i i've, I've actually not watched and it's for other reasons other than diploma that everybody kind of talks about is is genuinely great is blowout yeah Travolta it's Travolta and his stuff that I can't that yeah, I was always yeah. resistant towards but Lithgow is pretty good in that as like a hitman and yeah it's 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 in that kind of retouching European movies with a like more lurid edge or whatever thing it's sure. it's an it's okay it's okay. it's pretty good um so anyways going into this movie I was I was very nervous mainly because like this batch I'm I'm learning is like the most it's actually nerve-wracking because you and I are talking about our wives' favorite movies. Yeah. And it's like, if I don't... And I feel bad that I don't love a movie that Britney loves. So then I come and I'm like, yeah, let's talk positively. But I'm like, oh, I can't like share that opinion. Or I, I probably shouldn't just focus on... I don't want to be mean. Yeah. Yeah. 
Like you're maybe a little like checking your punches a bit with Death Becomes Her or something. Yeah, I was trying to like be very like, okay, I didn't love this movie, but let's talk about the good things about it because I didn't want to like when it's like a normal batch, I have no problems leaning into like this movie was garbage. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> Sure. Why did, why did we choose this movie? Because we chose it, right? Like one of us chose it and I feel comfortable, but in this batch I like I mean I actually didn't pull the punches last week with uh, Pure Luck. Like, that was me. That was just like... No I guess so. I, I didn't feel it was that bad, but <laughs> I, whatever. I, I really did like it. But yeah. anyways, I'm, I'm very happy to, to say, like, I, I was really enjoying this movie. I even enjoyed the Juicy Fruits music. Like, I was having a good time. Oh, man. No, th- that opening number is, like, the earworm from this movie for me. Like, I just think about that song sometimes. Okay, like, I'm especially so happy the... to hear you say yeah. that because... The movie seems to be like, yeah, but that's garbage music. I'm like, oh, oh. I, I uh. love that movie's, the movie's attitude about it. I mean, they're all written by Paul Williams. Not yes. like he hates this song and put it in here. But it's like the characters in this movie are like, oh, no, this is like the sound of the past. This is nostalgia wave. Yes. We're way past that. We got to look to the sounds of the future. So it's like this 50s throwback thing in the 70s. Yes. Which sort of happened, like which it hadn't did, even crested yet. Well, they were trying to get the Shannanas. That's what they were. The movie was trying to get the Shannanas, mm-hmm. which were a '70s group doing '50s kind doo-wop. of '50s doo-wop. Yeah, and Greece actually got them. Like that's the thing. Like Greece. Yeah, because I'm like, Shana-Naz. wait, this is like four years before Greece is like the box office king. Yeah, and this this wave like peaks or whatever, where it's just like, man, yeah, the '50s. Like yeah. kids in the '70s are loving it's, the '50s. Nathan, it's nuts. It's so nuts when you think, like, that, like, a movie in the 70s that was, like, because even American Graffiti was a 50s-based movie, too. I, I, it's 1962, but okay. yes, I know what you mean. Like, but it's, it, like, but it's, it's 100%, like, that generation, like, remember high school? That was awesome. Like, they're looking back I know. a decade ago. And it's My crazy parents went because and saw that movie. Nowadays, like, in a nostalgic both, spirit. Yeah. That's what I mean. Nowadays, both are just old, but then to know the nuances between 70s and 50s is crazy nuts Mm -hmm. to think about those things to to think that the 70s were like we're so far past the 50s now we're doing this ironically and i'm just like oh man it's one of those (sighs) things that like never worked for me for the godfather movies because they're ostensibly set in the late 40s and 50s but they just all look like the 70s to me (laughs) so it's just like yeah the corleones are just kind of behind on getting cars i guess i actually think the robert de niro sequences look like the 1910s or yes. whatever yes that's true uh, so it throws off my timeline even more but you're like, right what like godfather part one when like al pacino's walking around i'm like oh that's the 70s right like that is the 70s that's just new york in the 70s yeah they just I think. they drove everyone drove 20 year old vehicles like they were in really good condition yeah i still have it it's it they don't make them like they used to anymore yeah. in america so no <laughs> like I, it just I, I doesn't totally register like, and then three is set in the 70s and it's just like but it feels huh, like the 90s. i don't remember the 90s being this wood paneled or whatever <laughs> like it just it also check. to be fair it does feel like the 90s i was about to, like i was like no it's the 90s like because it's yeah it was it feels it very is, 90s. and i know that like it i don't know something about the period doesn't quite fit and it's what's uh, funny is that he could have like francis ford coppola lived through it so he just but it feels like he made the movie still in the 90s like he got lazy or something with set direction he was like no, no just like, go to the thrift store and get some 70s stuff <laughs> we'll put we'll leave a vcr in here it's fine but nobody will notice like that doesn't something. happen but i'm just saying like that type of laziness uh but yeah, no, it feels like a '90s movie. This movie, so yeah, this movie opens with the the juicy fruits, like an opening number in the paradise. 
performing a song that like Swan at this point is saying this is over, it's done. Like we're moving forward. I need a new sound to open yeah. my killer Xanadu. Like Here really comes in uh, <laughs> Winslow on the piano, giving us a pretty great song, like an actual great song. Like mm-hmm. I like the doo-wop funness of the previous song, but this is like an actual good song. Like if there's a way of doing it without making the doo-wop song like there's bad. more heart in it or that's something. what I mean. Like yeah. I'm not saying the doo-wop song is not good, but it's like it's more appropriate for what the '70s were going for, right? Like more thoughtful lyrics and stuff like that. Sure, I guess. I, um, I, I, yeah. Based on the life of Faust, uh, and he's singing, and it's like a really good song, and it like catches Swan's ear, and he sends his lackey to go negotiate a, a contract with him, or to like to I, work music c- with him. Kind of like to, yo, we like we don't want him. We just want this music, and then kind of is immediately kind of stealing from him like they well, just we, take the Winslow score. doesn't know this he thinks that he, Swan wants to work with him so yeah. he gives his music over to for Swan to go look at stupidly like just yes Swan it's very music. naive like doesn't understand show business kind of stuff yeah. yeah and then turns out that Swan is like he next time he shows up at the paradise there's a long line of girls and he's like what are you doing and I was like oh Swan's casting this new band for this new song and he can hear the song playing and it's his song and he's like oh it's my song and they're like no it's not it's swan's song like it's your name's not on any of this it's like huh that's kind of weird like i actually really like how like finley plays just like this this rube for the first part of this (laughs) because it's just like huh that's kind of weird i don't know i mean it's my music so i guess it must be a mistake like he's just so he walks up as he's just like it's fine and all the girls are like are you stupid like are you and he's just like in line with all the girls to go it's like hey hey, 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 what are you doing here what are you what are you doing it's like i'm just uh, here to see mr swan these greaser guards that just have grease randomly rubbed on their face yeah (laughs) like guys they work at a nightclub why are they covered in grease it's I don't know. I was. I yeah, really like. They that just touch. walked out of a garage prior to <laughs> really like that every scene. Yeah. <laughs> but um, and this is this was also meet. like maybe the first time I really noticed that like the main door into the addition is like deliberately shortened so Paul Williams's height is perfect yes. for it, and everyone else has to duck because <laughs> yeah. it's like the world revolves around this guy. Which you know, is, which is genius. Because honestly. I want to I want to say Paul Williams because we got to introduce Jessica Harper Phoenix because we meet sure, her on the yes. stairs. This this is where we meet Phoenix. Yeah, and he so Winslow walks into this room, sees all these girls waiting to audition, and he can pinpoint Phoenix's voice out of the group as yeah. Someone. And there's a lot of discordant singing and there's weird takes on the song, singing. but he can yeah. hear Phoenix and she, and he realizes that Phoenix is the perfect voice for his music. Yeah, um, that he's writing. Um, and so he's like, I'm going to go tell Swan, like, you're the girl for the job. Cause this is my music. And then, then he gets kicked out for trespassing and starts this long right, sequence of events where he's belligerently trying to prove to everyone that he wrote this music despite mm-hmm. giving up the original copies. <laughs> like, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, no, he, he immediately played all of his cards wrong at the beginning <laughs> and is, is in over his head, I guess, in this, but that's... The showbiz baby, I yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so has this, yeah. but then yeah, you're right. Paul Williams, like he he's playing this a little like Goblin Kingy. Like I don't know if it's like <laughs> yeah. did David Bowie base his look for the Goblin King on Paul Williams in this movie? I don't think so, but I don't know. <laughs> but that hair, like that hair, like 
Like, oh, sure. He does have big hair. It's true. And long. Big 70s and then, hair. Yeah. Like, he kind of has this, like, uh, everything revolves around me. Like, he gave me David Bowie vibes. And I know he worked with Bowie. So I wonder if Paul Williams based a little bit of, like, his persona. Or, like, somehow Bowie. imprinted some of his swagger onto Bowie. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, he's such a, like, Swan is such a funny character to me. Because he's, he's, like, the emperor of music or whatever. He's the absolute in <laughs> yeah. all ways. Yeah. Everyone's like, what is, if Swan thinks it's good, it is good music. If Swan thinks mm-hmm. it's bad, it is bad. And he get I love that he gets hyped up at the very beginning of the movie by, like, Rod Serling. It's like a, tw- a Twilight Zone yeah. intro or something with this, like, logo of this dead bird. And he's just like, oh, man, everything. Okay, like, did you th- did you ever look into this logo nonsense? Because I kept getting referenced to, but I never yeah. looked into it. Uh, yes. The, I guess swan song was originally going to be the name of the log the label which makes, which makes sense total sense yes 100 percent makes sense uh but led zeppelin those those dirt bags <laughs> uh they apparently had a label named that i don't know that because who cares about led zeppelin anymore total um, also just you know when i hear led zeppelin in a sentence i assume oh it's they hurt the music industry or they did something not fun they did something not fun. It's true. They were not doing fun things way back in the seventies, like before before it was. They're lame. the Metallica to Napster of this movie, like they're of this era. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Uh, <laughs> so they they were threatening lawsuits and things if oh, they didn't actually, change sorry. it. We should clarify. Uh, Led Zeppelin TM and Metallica TM. Oh yeah, I don't even. We know don't. If we can talk we about don't want to get taken like like Lars Ulrich's gonna freak out oh, if she finds out TM. Oh, sorry, Make sure you yeah. say TM at the end, just so that they know we All know right. that they own. We'll talk trademark. more generally, I guess. So this this band, uh, <laughs> they they got fe- like kind of feisty about it, started rattling their sabers a bit and threatening legal action. Uh, there's sort of this story that's like, well, we probably would win because it's a very common phrase. Like swan song is just a thing people say. Like yes. that's not that's you can't own that. But just to sidestep it, they kind of adjusted some things in post and it looks really weird (laughs) like there's yeah everything i read was like they did the right thing and went to them and said hey like hey we're making this movie this is this is does this work for you they did have to change it in post and i guess there's a later in the movie there's a few moments i was looking for it where people were like you can kind of see where they did overlap and it didn't quite work Mm mm-hmm uh, th- it's the it. airplane scene like the there's kind of this uh press conference outside the plane okay. where they announce the yes. new band uh it, it's a weird shot because it's kind of like a group of people heading towards the airplane to like meet swan and from a distance the podium just looks like a podium and then once it gets closer it's like there's just a strip of animation like over that thing with the current logo because yes. it was like written like stenciled onto it swan song and they can't have that anymore yeah so yeah, so they I guess put... on the Shout Factory Blu-ray you get the original footage, like the untouched. Oh, okay, yeah. that's because that's what I watched. Was a, oh, cool. a copy of that, so I never. I was waiting for this weird thing that everybody was talking about, and I never got it. But that's I don't the know co- if they integrated it into the movie. Maybe somebody did, or or if it was just a special feature. I thought it was just a special feature. Give me a sec. But uh, um, we watched a DVD, so I'm guessing yeah, because you guys own this movie, right? Yeah, we own this movie. On laser and DVD, we chose DVD because we were scared of the sound quality of the laser disc sure. being decades old. Because so. that's the problem with laser, right? Is like their sound quality is the thing that goes. 
It gets crusty, yeah. Like, I opened a brand new, quote, like, shrink-wrapped copy of the Anderson tapes, this old Sidney Lumet movie, and yep. immediately crackly sound at the beginning of the disc. So, gotcha. yeah, it's just something that happens as time goes on. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think where there's other... That's the most flagrant instance, is that, that scene. Yeah, I'm you just... Can, I'm, uh, it takes place after Swan has hired... Um, has fully hired Winslow at this point, the Phantom, right? Yes, he he is in his little like music dungeon. Yeah, here it is. Okay, <laughs> slaving away. Okay, yeah, because the back of their jackets, I guess this is can be reshot because their back of their jackets say death. Even in that scene, I wasn't able to get to it. There's oh, a okay. stupid rule on on Plex on my uh, phone where it's like you can only watch a minute of it. You have to pay for it on your phone. That's I can watch it anywhere, on any other device, but on the phone, it's like that's where they get your money. That's an exclusive feature. All right. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, that that's what they did. They kind of had to slap over just their their Death Bird logo without the the name gotcha. just to kind of cover it up. So thanks, Robert Plant. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just honestly, it's not the first story where I hear of just like just them being giant grumps. Yeah. Just giant old men already by the time they're in the 70s. There there was even, like, I don't know the veracity of the some of the trivia on this. They were saying the movie was delayed extensively because of this. Like, it was almost, like, completed in 72, but oh, they yeah, couldn't release yeah, it. I, yeah. When you said 74, I was like, no, it was a 72 movie. But then I remembered, yeah, it was delayed by two years. It was delayed because they had to fix things in post-production to make it okay legally or whatever. I also think there was, like, distribution stuff, too. Well, it, it was sold to Fox and everything, so yeah, there was maybe putting it up on the market for a while. But you're right; some cut of this probably existed in '72 for like people to watch, yes. uh, and and borrow things from, like uh, Kiss, perhaps, just steal their whole thing. Alice Cooper, who knows? These are things that may have happened. It's hard to say. Is that a, is that you think so? No, <laughs> I just find it funny. Like there, there's like some stagecraft stuff. With like black and white makeup and these kind of undead singers doing this bit oh, with like yeah, yeah, yeah. No, blade guitars and everything, which yeah, kind of reminded me fruits, of those guys. The Juicy Fruits 2.0 type of thing. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'm pretty sure that this is the inverse of what I just said because I think Alice Cooper is one of the names in the files of uh, Death Records or whatever that like uh, the secretary looks through to check on Winslow. Yeah, and she's like, oh, never to be seen. All right, banished. Gotcha. And that whole bit. But um, uh, one music act it did influence, though, is kind of why this movie is important to me, uh, is this is how Daft Punk happened in a really yeah direct way. Well, <laughs> it's it's kind of strange. Generally speaking, too, like Paul Williams as a creator also was part yeah. of that. Like, he, he's a musical hero of theirs. But yeah. like when Daft Punk was like 12 and 13, like they they saw this movie many times in theaters as like young friends so which this makes kind so of much was sense like a bonding point yeah there's somebody out there that i was watching video they're breaking down the sounds of some of the like their early hits because i'm i okay i you know this i've never been the biggest daft punk fan but sure. i especially struggled with their later stuff when they were going full like funk um <laughs> yeah okay and i was like this is coming out of nowhere they're not funk and then I saw this video of this guy being like, no, the funk's always been there, 
They'd just been sampling it and then making it sound like modern EDM dance music. But it was, like, yeah. always there. And it was, like, some sounds from, uh, um, what was the, what's one of the big songs? The Money Song. It's from the 90s. Anyways, there's a sample in it and it's, like, no, it's, like, there's a, a 70s, like, James Brown type singer riff like sound song and we just like took it out and then the beat this heavy the heavy beat of it is uh also one more time sorry one more time so uh, they're just sampling like a bunch of old funk, funk records 70s disco yeah. sounds but then they make it sound like 90s EDM what everybody else was doing but they're just like being popular but then using their love of what they loved in music to make music that other people were liking too okay like meaning like can you hear the funk stuff in one more time like <sighs> i mean i don't i always just think of crazy space anime with that because that's the music video and sure that's the, but that's what i'm trying to say like, i made. think yeah they took their they sampled a bunch of things from their childhood to make an edm a 90s edm song so they'd mm. be popular but i think like their love was always for the 70s and that's where we got to see more funk as they went along. Yeah, I mean, on their last album, there's, there's, all, well, yeah, their last album, there's all the kind of throwbacks to their heroes like Giorgio Moroder and Paul Williams and stuff. Yeah. Like they're very deliberately going through their their formative history or whatever. Uh, but just the idea of having just like this reclusive, weird, like silver metal headed dude in a synth room or whatever it's just like oh man this is this is great have like, you this seen is so perfectly their thing have you been mm -hmm. to the uh canadian yeah, music dude yeah we went to the like enshrinement of the tonto synthesizer yeah. they they did a screening of this movie with the synth there awesome. and like the, one of the creators of it and everything was talking about it that was fun like great. it, it because that wasn't like my first time seeing this movie, it was like a great kind of Rocky horror type thing where there was like people dancing around in the room and like this big prop from the movie essentially is there and everything. It was a well, very prop, fun, but, like, but also like a real piece of a music real history music thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like right. that was Paul. Uh, so I saw it well before I knew this was a movie. I saw it at the museum and like under the guise of like, Hey, this is like a massively important piece of equipment. Yeah. Uh, and then also there's this film history because the other piece they had is the same soundboard that Francis Ford Coppola used to edit sound edit for uh, Apocalypse Now. Is oh, there okay. Too. Um, yeah. So I, I I've saw I saw Tonto well before what I saw this movie. It's obviously. like we were talking about it, and I couldn't believe it. It's like the original new timbral orchestra is what Tonto stands for, which yes. is such a like original new doesn't make sense Here's to me but i like it did you have you ever seen them play the the original like the original timbrel ah uh, they have no? one there oh okay so yeah before they were the national music museum of canada they were the cantos music museum and at the cantos their timbrel was set up in a projection room and they one of the guys there would often play it he's like one of the few people in canada that know how to play the timbrel he would put on like an uh a, a silent short like a charlie chaplin type thing and yeah. play the timbrel to it because the whole thing is is built to like all the sound effects that you would need for playing a live uh like silent film to yeah. make it have would be part of this thing it can emulate that uh that's, it was pretty cool 
genuinely an amazing moment just watching this like piece of real film history in front of us because it's not something we ever experience in real life but to hear this machine work so the fact that there's this newer one that paul williams yeah it's we're very kind of lucky here in calgary in some ways to try to try to paint a word picture of this thing it's like these insane giant wooden like curved speakers like forming an enclosure around the musician and then you have like keyboards and all sorts of like wires and things they use it to give him a voice in this movie like uh swan starts synthesizing his voice i loved it though because like my one like quibble with the movie this time was like man some of this lip syncing is really bad but once they get to where it can just literally be Paul Williams' voice coming out of this like robot box, it yeah. was so funny because it's just like he wrote all these songs anyway, and he's good at performing them. Now this actor doesn't even need to worry about it. He is just I suddenly sound like Paul Williams, and there's like a mechanical reason well, why I, that doesn't break the movie. But it's also great because Paul Williams is just like perfect, like Swan's ah, that's like a, that's perfect. a perfect voice right there. Yeah, <laughs> just this little ego stroking thing uh, in character and not it's, it's really it's weird that he chose to not take any live audio like it's kind of i i feel like they're playing these performances like so big and silly that it would probably sound awful with how much nonsense he has going on even in that opening juicy fruits number there's like a fist fight breaks out with one oh, of the band members but I get, and like no, an but I audience get, guy. I get musical performances not being performed live i don't want that but it, oh, it yeah. just talking scenes where there's nothing else going oh, on. Oh, like overdub ADR everywhere? Yeah, yeah, I've noticed it. Like, I noticed oh, there's yeah. a lot of it. So there, There's this one girl that, like, has a bit of plot or whatever where it's like, wow, like, Swan looks the same as he did 20 years ago. But if you're looking at her mouth, it looks so not correct at all. <laughs> but it's important for you to know that. But, yeah, it, yeah it's it, janky on that front. I just find it charming, though, because I know it's, like, a low-budget movie. Yeah. So yeah no for sure i i I don't know i just it just but other low budget movies did use live audio sometimes live audio sometimes i'm thinking of like kind of the early scene where like uh winslow's debuting his music like it's kind of doing this like spinning around him and then you see the two-way mirror with where swan hides behind or whatever watching him there's just a bunch of like head waves and shakes and things and like the lips and what's happening aren't quite. Yeah, there. Winslow like, is not quite doing a good job ADRing his own voice in type of thing. Yeah. Whereas I thought Phoenix, like Jessica Harper, does a pretty great job with her addition song. That yes. was like, oh, this looks way better. Like this is just a little more thoughtfully. Well, done I mean, or Jessica Harper is a real actor, whereas like uh Winslow, oh my gosh, William Finley is like a fun character actor. I yeah, guess. he's a friend of Brian De Palma. Yeah, I I really like him in this though. He's so zany and like weird looking, like kind of bug eyed, tall. Well, the long perfect glasses for his thick eyes. Glasses, in this movie. yeah, like the little tiny glasses, but he has really big eyes. So it's like really big eyes. So he's just kind of bugged out all the time as yeah. he's like trying to get meetings and whatever. Uh, it's it's a fun frantic opening bit. And then, man, De Palma's just, like, busting out all sorts of dumb, like, montage, like, layered film and, like, sliding clocks of gold records with, like, (laughs) oh, he's whiling away the hours. And then, like, music starts going over the screen and everything. Like, it's – he's just throwing all sorts of nonsense out. And it's – it visual variety, if nothing else, I think is fun. Having a good time. So there's a couple sequences I want to get to, though. Um, So – Winslow, because we haven't even talked about him becoming the the Phantom yet. 
Not really, no. He keeps saying he got his head smooshed. So he eventually gets arrested for um, drugs. Drugs that get planted on him by Swan. Yeah. By the police for Swan. So then he gets, he's going to get put in jail. He escapes jail somehow but ends up in the paradise. Well, they, they've established this, like, briefly established this thing where, like, yo, man, like, Philbin says, like, you got a temper, dude. You got to simmer down. When he, like, hears the Juicy Fruits might touch his music, he, like, grabs him by the lapels and shoves him through a wall or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so he hears the Juicy Fruits playing his song on the radio in prison and flips out. He just starts throwing people around, running about, and just breaks out. Like, he just escapes. He just escapes. Because he's so angry. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, suddenly he's in the city uh, sabotaging the record launch or whatever. He's in Death Row Records, like, Death Row. <laughs> yes. Death Records, uh, knocking over boxes and stuff. And then he slips and falls into a press. Yeah, uh, and then this press closes on his face. Crazy. Do you know how low budget this movie is? Uh, yeah. This record press, though he was promised that this was safe and it was not going to close on his head because they've all these safety mechanisms in place. He had to pull out his head in real life at the last second because it was going to crush his head. Yeah, they put shocks in the machine, but the machine was so powerful it broke them. Yeah. Uh, so he is actually panically going ah and like jumping out of this thing at the last second. Uh, Cause yeah, he he almost actually got disfigured by this this stupid thing. Uh, I think, but in no, the no, story, I think his head crushed. Like he would have been. Records are very thin. Mm-hmm. No, whoa, no, it w- he would have. Yes, but that didn't happen. No, so, I know what I'm saying. Is there like, was a rubber side. There to would it. have been film of a man's head being crushed by a record press. Like if he didn't move as fast as he did. If he didn't move fast enough, but fortunately he did for yes. us and everybody. Uh, and this movie was and able for to himself. Be made. Um, and for himself especially. Yeah. <laughs> so he becomes. Severely burned, and he goes running off into the night. He then, uh, it's evading... almost like a Batman villain like yes. thing. Like he's he's covered in blood and just like running along, and he just like falls into the ocean. Yes, and then you get the first person like he's breathing from scene. The police still at this point too. Yes, he, oh, he's a fugitive ocean. from the law. Yeah. He escaped from prison. Then yeah. he ends up at the paradise, and it's a, it's like a first person shot, which De Palma is a big fan of first Loves person it. perspective. Yeah. That's right. Um, so this is probably the first on a big scale we've seen of him doing this. Like, he might have been doing his student film days, but we haven't seen this yet from him. Yeah. Uh, he's yeah. a big Peeping Tom fan in real life, and he also really likes Psycho. Yeah. Um, Darth Vader the breathing. Paradise, looking, yeah. observing people. And some of these shots are like, that dude is, like, m- mostly facing you, but he's walking, the, like, past. And it's like, that guy would notice a person standing there with a prison uniform on and a crushed face well some people do notice him but they're so scared by what they see they run away yeah is that so, while they're he's in the paradise because I, I it's outside it's I those thought, two guys I mean, near like, the once fence he's in the paradise he's trying to sulk sulking around but i'm like some of these people have to really not pay attention to their surroundings to like miss him well they're busy man they're they're working for yeah, the, the king of the music industry also yeah. okay so then eventually he's walking around and he finds a costume and naturally covers himself. He puts a costume on. Yeah. And there and the Phantom is now haunting the Born. paradise. Yeah. And um, then like you get the one eye through the helmet a lot with like black makeup all yes. around it. Yeah. And like really emphasizing that. Oh, eye. it's great. There's some really good shots of the Phantom. Once he's once the Phantom fully is on the screen, I think this is where I like fully bought into the movie because I think up until this point I was trying to figure out its 
like tone, its temper, all these things. Sure. I was liking the music, but I was like searching about what this thing was and where the Phantom was and all these things. And then once he showed up, I was like, oh, okay, I like this movie. And I think if I went back and watched the first 30 minutes again, I would like it now that I know. I guess because you know where it's going. Like, yes. Yeah, okay. Um, Whereas this is our, like, seventh time watching it or something. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, I once the Phantom's there, I'm having a grand time. Like, he is quickly found out by, by Paul Williams. There's not a mystery of the Phantom. It's like, no, he, the first time the Phantom acts, Paul Williams figures it out. It's like, who else would blow up my video set or whatever they're doing there? Also, he just so. sees him. He just sees he, him. Yeah. Or he reviews the footage just like, oh, yeah, there he is. Yeah, there he is. Okay. <laughs> That's probably Winslow, that guy I screwed over. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. He, he figures it out immediately. Okay. Uh, so he – yeah. Let's, let's talk about the first sabotage scene. He The uh, split screen, like, uh, live – Yes. Like, Which I thought was move a, thing. a whole yeah. great way to do it. So – the Juicy Fruits are performing one of his songs in a rehearsal for the big opening night. Yeah. Uh, there's two. It's a split screen vertically. So there's two. And there are two live cameras going filming the same sequence as he moves through the room from two different perspectives. Yeah. One's perspective, we see the Phantom put a bomb into the back of this prop car. And the other perspective, we see the Juicy Fruits practicing there. Uh, we see essentially the front stage versus the backstage of the yes. performance yeah that's right you get a lot of philbin kind of harassing people and stuff too yes uh, the audio is kind of layered in a weird way where it's like you're hearing the voices talking as loudly as you're hearing the singing and stuff which is so good because kinda... the singing would obviously drown it out but they need us to hear the yeah. backstage talking right yeah um and then we go through the sequence and eventually i i, I really like the sequence i was really happy with this it, it, it ends with the bomb going off and nobody gets hurt but it like ruins the set to the show type of thing mm-hmm. um, and then you see like williams kind of sitting sitting behind the glass or whatever and i guess this was actually staged and shot live like like that yeah. is, is the notion which is kind of like i don't know why you do that but i guess it matches perfectly because you it do does it match that perfectly because yeah. it wasn't until the last shot of the bomb going off that that's the break in yeah. the live footage but yeah you can totally tell it was because there's some weird shots of like I, I look for these things when they do, in shows, they do reverse shot, reverse shot. But you can see the back of a person's head, and you can see them not mouthing the words properly or something like this. It's or like, like, oh, that guy's moving slightly differently than this, than exactly. this. It's like, no, no, it's the same. No, so. it's the same. Like, I'm looking for these background in, like, in either scenes and seeing if they're matching, and it's matching. Yeah. So I was pretty impressed by that, that Brittany, choice. Brittany was pretty happy with, like, how the story kind of just uses swan's paranoia or whatever like he has cameras everywhere so it's just yeah this footage is actually in the movie for us and also paul williams the character can watch it later and it's like not breaking the universe that it's the same footage because he has people shooting this in the story or he has surveillance cameras everywhere so it's yeah it works out kind of nicely yeah so he figures out pretty quickly that there's a phantom there. He assumes it's Swinslow and he goes up and finds him and he immediately is like, I want to hire you. Like, I want you to secretly make music for me your way. Blah, like, blah, you're blah. right. It's not right for the juicy fruits. You, you get to call the shots yeah. and then kind of indentures him with this insane, like Satan contract. <laughs> um. <laughs> Which that was the first like supernatural beat of the movie. Yeah, because up to that point, it's kind of like kind of a goofy like like Batman story, and all of a sudden, 
like now we get this like wait why do you need his blood like there's because i i knew going in there's a supernatural element but i wasn't seeing it yet and then all of a sudden this happened and i was like oh, okay this is where the supernatural comes into this movie. sure like so. up to this point it's just like oh you know powerful producers it's maybe a satire in the music industry or something it totally this is, is where because it, it crosses over yeah oh nathan there's a scene early in the movie that i was like this was like 50 years before like the me too stuff was 40 years because yeah uh, phoenix goes to rehearse and then she's doing that and then the next thing we see she's running out of the room with her top torn open screaming being like i don't want to be a singer that way and you're yeah. just like i know he's playing it's one of those things where like in the 70s it probably got a, a soft laugh you know like but today it's like oh wow all right that's yeah, fairly just, astute observation as to, yeah. yeah. Like how crappy people were and just, I, I kind of appreciate that this movie did it because a lot of movies don't, are not that transparent Savvy. about those things. Yeah. So yeah. anyways, uh, that was, that was earlier, but yeah. So part of this contract is Winslow wants Phoenix to be the singer of his music. He's like, I don't want anybody else. Um, And then he goes about writing his opus while Paul Williams starts scheming again to mm-hmm. cut him out of the new music because Paul, his new vision is... Is beef. <laughs> the <laughs> next era of rock of is glam rock. Like, he wants to move into the glam rock era. Yeah, yeah. He's sitting at this, like, absurd gold record table. I love yeah. this shot so much. It's pretty great, yeah. If you want to run it through, I guess. Yeah. So he's sitting at this gold record table talking to his partner, not partner, his underling. Yeah. Uh, about what the sound should be for this new music. And the room's all black out behind them, but he'll like flip a switch and then the a light will go up just past the table and there'll be a musical act there. And they'll perform a little piece uh, in a genre. And yeah. then he'll like, no, that's not it. Light goes down, goes to the next one, light goes up, and then a whole nother musical act. Like so it goes from like uh country to uh soul to I can't remember about other ones. But anyways, he keeps doing this. He does it like four or five times. Oh, there's kind of just like two ladies there. Yeah. Like d- despite him starting the thought with like, no, it needs to be harder. It needs to be like heavier. Yeah. And then like turn it on and it's like two twin sisters singing this. <laughs> no, that's not right. <laughs> You know, it's just like, but and this, then he gets to the last, yeah. The shot Sorry. looks so good. The only problem I had was like, why were, like, it would have been such a perfect shot if he didn't have extras walking in the background between these shots. Like, oh, if they only like had the, the spotlights. There was just people walking around, I think, doing something, or they were supposed to be there. But, like, how perfect would this have been if it was only the spotlight? Once it went off, they stayed still in the shot, but weren't seen. So it was only oh, spotlighted yeah. it, it would kind of have this weird, surreal, like, what? Like, he just has these people at his command? Like, yeah. when he first turned on the first light, I thought it was really funny. Like, it's just like, those people were just there? Yeah. There was just, like, nine people with instruments, like, just ready waiting, to go? Yeah. In dramatically case different Swan sounds. wants to hear them? Yeah. yeah. But then, again, I like really like the country western take. That was my favorite. Yeah, that was a good one. I appreciate because his comment was like, it's good sound, but not the right one. And I'm like, not for the paradise. Like, that was that was that good of a country. I thought it was pretty fun. I would (laughs) happily smile at that at like a Disney Disneyland sideshow. You totally would, wouldn't you? Um, Yeah. The guy who likes the highwayman. Um, And Roger Miller. It's kind of got that Roger Miller thing. Sure. But again, like those extras walking. When the spotlight's on an artist, there's extras walking sometimes behind them. 
And I'm just like, yeah. oh, man. Like, that would have been a perfect shot if they just, if that was all they did. Was just, like, having those musicians Like, just there. go statue again yeah. at, when the light goes off, yeah. So, still Anyways, pretty cool. But it was really, though, but, yeah. I was really happy with this shot, especially for a low-budget movie. I was like, this is a clever, fun idea. But, yes, he lands on Beef, who is a <laughs> glam rock. Yeah, it's Garrett Graham plays this guy. And oh, man. Brittany and I really like this guy. We think he's really funny, especially his intro to the world at the press conference. Like the coffin opens and he just does this insane, like, it's just like enough said, this is the future of music right here. This is the future of music. I, I had a great time with beef. Beef was, he's a lot of fun. It's a big comic performance. It's, it's pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I can't believe it, but I totally forgot about the like flagrant psycho illusion when I sat down this time. Like uh, this the shower scene. Yes. In this yeah. movie, it's just like this is just doing the psycho bit, Wait, and then at the last second, oh, and then he the, pops the plunger. Being, like, I thought mouth. he was gonna stab him, and it was just a plunger to the face. And it was just like, oh, that's funny. That is funny. No, no, you cannot sing my music. Like he's yeah. singing in the shower, and he pops a plunger over his mouth, and then warns him. It's just like. No one but Phoenix can sing this. Whoever and then, tries dies, and then like leaves. He yeah. tries to leave. Beef tries to leave, but then he's convinced to stay. Thankfully, because I want to see this beef performance. Like I want to see beef <laughs> yeah. on stage performing this music, and it's great stagecraft too. Like this looks like a fun show that was happening. Oh, 100%. where like this the juicy fruits essentially playing the undeads sing this whole opening bit with like blade guitars yeah. and they're like eviscerating audience members yeah. that are stand-ins or something like they're they're ready for this bit and like meanwhile in the background like six women are just stitching at this table like this mad yeah. scientist situation and then the whole table turns around and like beef is there with like elaborate makeup like he's this frankenstein he's frankenstein yeah and then he walks out with straight leg straight armed performing yeah doing song. this kind of weird zombie stiff yeah. walk or whatever as he gets his instrument or whatever and then he gets struck down by lightning like, oh by my this goodness neon so bolt. i i thought how he made this lightning thing with the faces that garrett was making was mm-hmm. just like hilarious and i read so i read that i read that imdb trivia before i got to this scene about the brian de paul like paul williams showed this movie to a friend of his who uh, I guess this guy named Les Harvey uh, was part of this, not a big band in the 70s, but he died on stage when he went to go grab a hot mic and he was electrocuted in front of Oh, okay. Yeah, the crows or something. It was... No, he just like, yeah, he just grabbed it, electrocuted it, and then he just fell over and died. Um, Yeah. And this producer saw that scene and started weeping. Like, and I was just like, I get, I totally get this like connection in his head. Like but, if you have a firsthand like connection to some something traumatic happening, okay. But, but for what me, doing, it's so comical and it, insane. Yeah, it's insane. Like his facial features as he's like, rrr, 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 I was just like, oh, this is like it's almost like stop motion or something. Like it's scrubbing yeah, through. Frames. It's scrubbing through frames. It's it was. I was a fun shot. I really enjoyed it. No, I read that after the fact. Yeah, today tonight where it's just like, oh gosh, like that scene reminded someone of like a horrible death they saw. That's terrible. Yeah. Like I they're like the only person on earth who can't enjoy this doofy moment. <laughs> but there it is. And then I guess yeah. Paul Williams had to be like, yeah, you know we're not going to cut that scene, right? Like Brian I, was like 
the way I was reading it, it sounded like they were reviewing the film for like stuff they might need to cut due to the legal issues. And yes. this guy was part of that screening. Yeah. And then it's just That's like, right. well, he was, that uh, was he the was... scene that upset you the most, but that has to stay. Yeah, I mean, he was a manager, I think, for this band because he was connected to the Led Zeppelin band in some way. The, that label and stuff. Yeah. 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 So, but they're like, dicey. we got to keep that scene, right? <laughs> like, we're not going to cut that scene. Yeah. <laughs> just like, yeah. Yeah, you don't cut that scene. Anyway, so then Beef is they, dead. They also, there's this whole thing, too, with, like, the crowd is so into it, they don't really know what they're seeing, or they don't understand that it's actually a death, maybe? Like, it, it's just the crowd is rabid, and they don't care. Well, and then they send Phoenix out there. So, I mean, they probably just thought it was elaborately Yeah, and the they just saw, like, seven people die and as honestly, part of this. This the is opening. just a thunderbolt coming from the sky. Like, why it's jerry-rigged like that was kind of weird already. So Yeah, it looks really over the top. So maybe it's part of the show. I yeah. don't know. But yeah, so, so the then... Phantom kills Beef. And all that's left is for Phoenix to sing his music. Yeah. Um, Philbin's just like, hey, you know, there's going to be more corpses if you don't get out there. So they <laughs> rush her out there to sing. Yeah. yeah, and she does. And then she becomes massive. Like, Phoenix becomes the voice for this new music but this is when like swan's whole thing plan kind of comes to fruition or unravels unravels or... or it's revealed at least to uh the phantom yes thanks to like incredibly well documented like videotapes that he keeps <laughs> uh so much narrative suddenly happens for uh winslow like he breaks into his office and just pops in a tape it's like wow this is all of his schemes all of the relevant things that would I matter that, uh, even has, tonight's evil plan <laughs> he has on tape like satan just talking like scheming with this dude and it's like I don't yeah. think Satan would be cool with that, man. Like, you got to ask permission. Like, but, well, it's part of the, it's like, I know, it's part yeah. of the shtick. You have to, he has to keep his image separate. He's essentially Dorian Graying his life. Yeah. This movie borrows from a bunch of stuff. Like, it's got Phantom of the Opera, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, here it just throws in some Dorian Gray, like the, the videotape of Dorian Gray. Yeah. So, where... all through the movie, Swan refuses to get photographed. He hides his face. He's always behind like a two way mirror often. So yeah. he's intentionally, like, keeping... And then it's kind of weird, but it's, like, also just, like, a nuance. Like, you're just like, oh, yeah, oh, Phil Oh, he's Spectre, just an eccentric, rich guy. Well, like, Phil sure. Spector, which was almost at one point what this was based on, like, was Phil Spector. It was yeah. also, like, a notoriously weird guy. So it's not shocking. Like, that's those are not shocking things to me. Like, yeah, of course he doesn't like his picture taken. He's, like, a weirdo. Like, it's fine. Yeah, but then it's like we find out another parcel with eccentric music people. There's a real reason why he doesn't want his photo taken, and that's because if you took his photo, you would see his like real self, like what he actually looks like. Right, because in the '50s he was he was so sad that he was going to age that he was ready to kill himself. Paul Williams delivering where real Faust happened. Paul Williams (laughs) delivering those lines like I just. I have to kill myself because I can't let as he like points towards his face. This this go, it's just like. I appreciate it. Paul's like understands like he is like he is successful and probably attractive to a lot of women, but he understands he's not traditionally attractive. He, there, there's some fun there. I think he's having more fun with the Satan role. Sure. In yeah. that scene, they kind of have this like, I, I don't quite know how this shot reverse shot was set up from his perspective. Like he's making this suicide video diary, but also has two cameras set up. Well, I don't I don't think all of the shot reverse shots work out that way. 
because okay. that's not what that's not what he saw. That was just more convenience for us. And for it's us easier, and and well, the shooting, and it's yeah. easier for Brian De Palma to not have to have this in camera trick the whole time. Right, you have this established thing where like he's you see two Paul Williams in the mirror, yes. but then the one in the mirror starts talking to and him then and we, turns we cut red. To a shot, reverse shot, so they yeah. have to keep it up. But then it also becomes this like supercut of all of his like evil contracts, including his contract with Winslow and Phoenix, yes. is just cut together in this same. So video. let's clarify. So he signs a deal with Satan to stay young forever, and he has all the power, and he can continue. He has to continue to draw in new contracts for Satan uh, to maintain yeah. his power, but also to maintain his power, he can't have a photo taken, and he has to protect all of the photos of himself. And especially this film. Yes. And he's supposed to watch it every day just to remember how lucky he is yes. or something. Yeah. So it's ready at hand. It's and, not in a vault or something. Yes. And so that's when the Phantom decides to burn it all down. Because he finds out that Phoenix did, in fact, sign this contract that she is now one of these Satan employees. The blood contract or whatever. Yeah. Uh and he I also, guess, but see, it, it must it, – maybe it doesn't have the same clause because there was that thing where it says, like, uh, this this only terminates with Swan. Oh, no. I think it's because he was stabbed. He was stabbed. Right? So he was like, remember, you don't – that wound will reopen type of thing, right? So okay. in a fight between Swan and Fe- Fe- Phoenix – Phantom, Phantom goes to stab Swan and the knife can't penetrate him. But then he gets stabbed and he doesn't bleed out because – Swan reminds well, he, him like he drives the blade into himself right. because like uh Phoenix is making out with uh with Swan. Swan and it it horrifies him so. Yeah. But and then you find out he cannot die. Yeah, cuz his blood belongs to Swan and it only flow if Swan says so type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Only um, if Swan is destroyed. But that, that and if Swan is destroyed that wound the, will reopen. This all transpires really quickly. Okay. <laughs> this is that's like 5 kinda, like, 10 minutes of movie. fast. Because yeah. it does just like it's like a fifteen minutes of this movie is just like poop and it's over. Like oh, this is an element by the way. He's like immortal and also he has this video and Satan. It's like what? Like it's just a sudden rush of craziness right at the end. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So he's stabbed, open wound. We also find out that Swan has a plan to marry sneakily marry on stage during a show, Phoenix to make her hers bride. And have her assassinated? And have her assassinated. Yeah. The motivations aren't clear on this one. Not really. I, I don't know if it's like, oh, all of her success would transfer to me. Or or maybe he it's owns this, her voice. Maybe it's like that song. Oh, yeah. That's the okay. thing. He owns her voice, so maybe he'll gain her voice. Like an Ariel moment or something like that. I, I was joking about Ariel as well when we were watching this, so maybe. Or he'll synth it with his machine. Maybe. But yeah, it's something about owning her voice because he now owns her voice. So if he dies, she loses her voice. Or, or the opening song kind of has this story about this guy, Eddie, who had to become an overnight sensation and he dies and his like posthumous album becomes a mega hit. So maybe it'd be like, oh, Phoenix's stuff will go super platinum if she dies horribly yeah, at okay. her debut or something. Yeah. So it's like a business It's, it's weird. Yeah. These so are crazy decisions. He... The Phantom goes and stops the assassination, but it kills his henchman who's performing the f- wedding, which is weird because it's like, how does he have powers to perform weddings? Yeah, 
what? Like he's dressed like a pastor, but that doesn't mean anything. He even says, "Oh, I've never done that. I've never played a pastor before." Well, like, and well, that, that but he's like, "Make sure you actually wet us, and make sure she, it's after she says I do." And I'm like, "Wait, does she? Wait, what? Is he actually you guys actually getting married?" If it right? happens on video, it's law. That's yeah. they don't get into that. But anyways, he gets shot, and then the Phantom shows up. And reveals and stabs, that, like, his... da- stabs him with like a bird beak yeah. costume. And it works because he, he burnt his film. Yeah. And then he takes this metal mask off that he's wearing because he knows he's on camera. And his real face is like revealed. And it just turns out he, you have a lot of like sores when you get old. <laughs> yeah. It's not even as crazy as like beneath the planet of the apes like mutants or something. Well, but I mean it's... like it's only like in my mind it's just like he... It, my mind was like it's like Dorian Gray where he just ages like he keeps aging but he looks young yeah but then he took off his mask and it's just like it's got like a lot like, of cuts on his face and I'm like oh okay that's different I just would have thought it would have been him in old makeup or something like that or I, w- I was kind of waiting for Paul Williams in old makeup either in the video because it's aging instead of him yeah. or in this moment but, but no, yeah no. he just has, I guess because like, of the fire maybe it's just burns I think he's got a I lot of know. legions like is on his face is what he has like just a lot yeah, of legions yeah. And then, yeah, he's stabbed, but then the Phantom's cut reopens and he bleeds out. Kind of crawling dramatically towards uh, Phoenix. Yeah. And uh, he he dies on the stage just before she kind of recognizes and, like, cradles him. And it's very it's very dramatic. It's it's, it's big emotions, big, yeah. broad stuff. Big, broad and stuff. And then that's it. And yeah. That's it. That's Phantom of the Paradise. Uh Fun movie, honestly. Like even just this, like just quick... a swift ninety-minute blast. Like, even of this craziness. like quick recounting, it's like it sounds chaotic the way we're talking about it. But like as I was watching it, I didn't feel like it was like super fast going. Like uh-huh. like in a in a non logical way, I was just like along for the silliness that this whole movie is. That center section is probably my favorite because it it just kind of has time to breathe and just he's trapped in the Tonto room and they're gonna pave it over and all that like it just kind of has some. Well, the center section setups. also has, has beef in it, so that's that's also makes sense. Yes, and beef is very fun, uh, and yeah, no, it's you know important, weirdly weird cultural. Well, impact I'm interested. In a weird way. I'm interested on yeah. like Britney's story around this movie. Like, did did I? She... It it was kind of. Like first year of college, I guess, like a friend of hers kind of put it on her radar and yeah. then she just watched it and loved it, I guess. Okay. It's, it, it's not like a childhood favorite. No, 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 but it's like, yeah, and that's that's totally fine because first year of college also is a pretty big year. I remember that was like a big year for me on a few movies, like, yeah, where I was an adult for the first time and I'm like, I'm gonna go look into this. What is this stuff film about, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I kind of missed a chance at knowing about this earlier because uh, it was it was a previously viewed like we were calling it out of our collection at Blockbuster. Yeah. And I definitely held it in my hand. and was like, huh, what? What is this? Like, what? And like, re- Brian De Palma, what? But I didn't pick it up. It was like 10 bucks. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know what this is. So whatever. Gotcha. Put it back. And then like when when I started dating Brittany, this was kind of an early thing we watched and thought was really fun. So it was it was a good bonding thing there. Because Brittany uh, also and then likes... and then finding out it has all this like Daft Punk lore to it really solidified it for sure. me. Sure. Oh yeah, yeah. But yeah. Because uh, Brittany also, am I wrong about like she also likes Rocky Horror Picture Show, right? Yeah. Yes, she does. And we and we did go see that in like the the way it is now with like people doing the in jokes and everything. Sure. Uh, I think I like this movie more because I got to just see it on its own. <laughs> 
I didn't like I wasn't out of the joke on it. Oh, you know? like you're okay. Sorry, what do you mean? You're saying you went and saw it in a theater where everyone we went and saw it in Halloween in the theater at the ev- plaza or something, everyone's and everybody's like... doing the bits. And it's just like what? <laughs> I'm just trying to watch a funny movie with Tim Curry. I... Like, what are you guys doing? I just watched an episode of Bob's Burgers, first episode of season twelve, where or something like end of season eleven. He takes Tina to go see their in universe movie of Milwaukee Horror Picture Show, and Tina's sitting there next to her dad as he's like three, two, one, and then everyone cheers and everyone's tapping at the same moment and all. Oh, throw the toilet paper! It's like, what are you guys doing? I'm trying to watch the movie. (laughs) And and Tina's not enjoying herself, and I'm sitting there being like, maybe, like I think I need to see, like. I don't think I could handle that the first time watching Rocky Horror Picture Show with that crowd because yeah. it just seems like it's like seems like you're visiting a church and you have no idea what to do and everyone starts standing up and saying words and you're just like, wait, oh, what? Yeah, like you're like suddenly where's, in a Lutheran the service. Like where's the like step by step? How do you guy? guys know all this stuff? Like what? Yeah. yeah, no, I felt super awkward and out of out of because it. everybody like it's it's the same joke, same time. Everyone gets involved. Yeah, like I was saying with, like, the Tonto screening, like, that was after seeing it several times, so it wasn't ruining my experience, but we were kind of seeing this thing I'm describing with Rocky Horror happening to other people near us. We're like, what's going on? Why is she dancing in the front of the screen? Like, why? And it's just like, no, this is great. This is like, you can't have this at home. Yes. Like, this is way more interesting than just watching this movie again. Yeah, yeah. But that's because we've seen it several times. But with Rocky... You saw it in a theater the first time. Then you're that saying, was my first time ever seeing that movie. So it's just like, why are these people ruining this movie? <laughs> so, yeah. Sure. Like, there was even a trailer for it on this DVD of Phantom of the Paradise, because also Fox or whatever. Yeah. And I, I watched that, and it's just like, this looks like a fun movie. Like, I should just watch this on, at home sometimes, like a Halloween movie, and I, I could hey, probably have the I'm right honestly, experience. I've only ever seen parts of that movie, like musical yeah. numbers. So I'm... I'm game to watch it at some point because I like I like me some to. horror comedy or whatever, but it was just like it's like everybody knew and I didn't and I didn't like that sure. that outsider feeling. So. Have you seen? Okay, what does Bernie think? I feel like the other big cult musical is Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. That's the other like we theatrical. have it like ready to watch, but she actually hasn't seen it. Okay. So I I'm wondering if it'll it'll click with because her, it's but. it's another one of those like um like big in the like queer gay community like screenings yeah. and dressing I, up and getting all into it type of thing too. Mm-hmm. I felt this movie like kind of, it's weird to me how this didn't land in 1974. Cause it's like just before Rocky horror and it's kind of like a queer friendly, strange yeah, Rocky horror musical rock comedy. You chose know? bigger music though. Right. Yeah. Like the time warp was just like, like this music I like, but the time warp is like I've never seen that movie, and I know the time warp. Like I yeah, know, it's, like it's kind of just a jam or whatever. That's what I mean. Yeah. Like so, I think it it might have just been a bigger event too. This movie's not yeah, as sure. big of an event of a movie. It's like it's got a low budgetness to it. I just feel the way Garrett Graham is playing beef is very like that guy's gay, and it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, no, it's... I totally agree with you, but I think I think this movie was always destined to be more of on that cult side. So it, yeah, to be a cult movie, you have to fail first, right? Well, that's a weird thing with Rocky Horror because it's like this is like the biggest, most successful cult movie. Like, it made I, mean, I almost don't say like dollars. is is it a cult movie if it never failed? Like, that's the argument, right? Well, yeah, because it it was like forced into success though. It it was sort of grassroots. I feel sure. it became 
organically a hit. But I think it, I think it grew into something bigger in a second leg, but it wasn't a failure in the first place. Is what I'm it was to never say. a failure. No, yeah. this was a failure in 1974. Yeah, so this yeah. is like a real true cult hit, except in Winnipeg. I just think, so. <laughs> uh, I just think that like Rocky Horror, it just grew in a different way. Like maybe outside of the producer director's intentions, it pivoted and went left, and they were like, oh, okay, cool, let's do that. But it was like. It was never, I don't think, their intention for, like, this movie to become the show where everyone goes and dresses up and watches it and dances. and Throws thing, throws yeah. toast or whatever. <laughs> like, that's yeah. what I mean. Like, I, I think they were, like, not against it, but I don't think that they knew that that's what the following would turn into. It it honestly just had my mind reeling. Like, it's like, how did this happen? Like, how, how does this room full of people know that this guy goes up to the screen at this point and says this about the sets or whatever? Like, how did this get rehearsed into this is what happens now because like, people this is go the to this every single year and I that guess, just like yeah. becomes linear knowledge like, oh it's legendary dude 1976 like the, this one guy said this bit it became part of the canon for like riffing on it did it's you like, ever watch the drew carey show not extensively uh cleveland rocks right yeah that's that's, that's the song of... they had okay. an episode uh because that was that show was actually pretty big in some like markets uh no but in like specifically the lbgtq plus like community because mimi oh okay his character they had an old episode where they had like a, a a musical episode where it was like some of the group the actors and people were going to see the rocky horror picture show and some were going to see Qu- priscilla queen of the desert and they all meet in the street and have this like dance off war thing oh, but okay. in like their various costumes battle. ready to go to their midnight like queer show type of thing and it was okay but that was like the first time either of those things got brought to my attention and i've always been fascinated by this like experience of going to see this movie but i do like you said i do want to watch it first well you just you just kind of want to be more familiar that's what i'm saying i want to watch it first and then go in with my head like if i watched it for the first time i think i'd be with you being like oh i just want to hear this song guys like i just want to hear this no this seems like like it seems like tim curry's doing a funny bit right now and i want to hear him like i get that you're over it or whatever but what are we doing (laughs) yeah (laughs) but um i feel like i could enjoy that as a separate show but after watching it as a movie first type of thing Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. anyways but yeah, they seem like kindred in some way. Yeah, like that's what I had in the forefront of my brain in some way watching this movie. I was just like, man, I feel like this might have paved the way for Rocky Horror to be a thing. Sure. Yeah. So, anyways. Um, yeah, M- cool. MVP time. MVP. Well, well Brittany kicks off, though. Yeah, uh, Brittany went with Paul Williams, uh, star and singer extraordinaire. Yeah. Uh, I... I, I d- can't disagree. I feel like his music is the thing that's on point the oh, most. Yeah. No, no, no. Like, it's... despite this movie failing, he somehow still got nominated for an Oscar <laughs> way back. I think so... Paul's one of those guys that, like, like unlike a Phil Spector who kind of put himself front and center in his music area, like his music world, mm-hmm. he was more quietly, like, behind the scenes. It's like almost like if you were in the know, you knew who Paul Williams were, was type of thing sort of like a brian eno or something yeah like he was popular but in hollywood because it's like he even looking at his movie career like he didn't have like like this is almost the beginning of him becoming more i mean we got battle for the planet of the apes where he won his like uh, unanimous mvp (laughs) on this very show right you're very you're very true uh yeah but that's what i mean like he just i don't know like it it almost seems like he this is the beginning of him becoming a real pop icon though 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, this is before he's on the Muppets and everything. So and like, yeah, I didn't know. Did you know he wrote Rainbow Connection? Yes, I I do know that. Yeah. Uh, but I I'm assuming stemming out of like him appearing on the Muppet Show, and then he also did this like Emmett Otter Jug Band <laughs> special or something with Jim Henson that I was watching. Okay. Uh, yeah, he he's got big Muppet cred. Yeah. Uh, but yeah no he's he's pretty great so that yeah that was britney's choice um do, should i go yeah you go still? because i i did this summary uh it's hard for me not to also go with him but i i decided to go with garrett graham uh despite uh him not getting more time yeah, uh he he kills it with his his moments I, yeah i i liked i love paul williams in this movie too i liked uh what he did the whole time but the utter delight I had at Garrett Graham for this sequence that he was on screen was just like this yeah. guy in this short period stole the sh- show from everybody else type of thing. Yeah. So beef, really funny. Yeah. Uh, just it's facial expressions, his stage craft, his like stage. kind of bad singing, but it's well, really even just funny. Like him, like the the deep V neck shirt, but like just having like a kind of a like dad bod, like hairy chests, like mm-hmm. belly. I was just like, oh, this. This is hilarious because this is just like big and bold performance right here. It's pretty yeah. funny. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, so, so Garrett's you... mine as well. Like he awesome. Okay. Uh, like very quickly. Like I was, I was ready to say Paul Williams. I was ready to go back and be like, no, like battle, battle for the planet of the apes. Repeat. Like this guy. Well, kind killer. kind of because of the depth of stuff he's doing for the movie 100%. too. I feel like like you know. Brian De Palma wrote this movie, but the music's like the thing that's working the best yeah, the, in the, the movie. The writing is probably like it's the sillier part of the movie, but it's the if it was if it wasn't for the music, this movie would be be pretty silly. Like just right, silly. if it wasn't for the music at the center of it actually being pretty good, it it kind of makes the whole story seem to work. You know, yeah, like, like yeah, this would just be a really silly movie that we probably like, wouldn't. This care about. is opening a club. This is a big deal. It's like no, it's these are good songs. So yeah. yeah. But, like, yeah, Garrett's not supposed to be performing these songs, I guess, in the story. But what he, what he's bringing Even when is, he starts is great comic energy. In his, like, the octave too high. And he's like, ah, like, just, I'm just like, this is so bad. Like, this is terribly like, How am I supposed to sing this? I'm not a chick. And like, he's yeah, just like, yeah, it's... but you know what? Like, and then he compliments him and then he immediately starts singing. And I'm just like, this is, I don't know, man. I was, I was loving his, like, yeah just trying to sing this really high part i was i was happy with all the choices he made in this movie so yeah very funny if the only thing is he gets struck down by lightning but it's a pretty great even death that also. his death is a pretty great death so <laughs> and it's just I, I i was marveling at the crowd i guess in the final scene too with, when both characters die on stage and like that scene too it's just like what is this madness like these this crowd is just like beef 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 it's like he's dead what is wrong with you I, but they're just so there's a part of me that up. makes me so happy like i'm like beef is a terrible name but then to hear a, cr- a crowd yell beef it's, it's pretty good it's, it's a pretty good name for a really bad artist just to call it beef oh it was it was funny it made me laugh yeah. a lot so yeah yeah so, so yeah that's our brian De Palma, comedy king uh moving on to question time uh, what are some, I, I guess this kind of riffs off of what we were just talking about a bit. What are some noteworthy instances you've had of shushing people in the theater? Have you ever been shushed? 
or have you ever wanted to shush someone but didn't, that would then apply to the people at the Tonto screening that were like, what is going on? Why are people jumping around in this theater for Fan of the Paradise? Or my situation watching Rocky Horror where it's like, stop throwing things. I'm trying to watch the movie. But uh, well, you didn't shush anybody. You just thought those things. No, because I know that's part of the culture yeah. around this movie. But it's just like, man, I screwed up. Like, I, we have this on Blu-ray. I don't know why I didn't just watch this at home. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, okay. So it's important. I'm going to say right off the bat, who I'm watching a movie with changes how I, I react in a movie theater. Okay. So, for example, I have a friend who I wish didn't speak as much as he did. Sometimes he kind of, like, will say a comment about something and, it, like, it's to get a gag or something. So, I typically go like see... Like, at a, the movie's expense, kind of, or... Or something, or he'll be like, whoa, or something like that, right? Okay. And so, I typically go see action movies with this person because I'm like, all right, I can... That's a situation, but if I see, like, a drama and this happens... <laughs> I'm so yeah. happy with him. Okay. But I don't say something. I don't shush people because he's in the movie theater next to me. I'm not going to shush somebody else who's talking because that's ridiculous. Like, mm-hmm. but if I'm with you, I know there's times where you and I, like you've gotten grumpy with me because I was shushing people and you were just like, stop. Like, I don't want to draw attention to You're us. We're going to antagonize people. We're going to get in trouble. Yeah. Like, they're going to get mad at us and, and angry. Yeah. Uh, I cussed out. A dude one time for just fully like being on a cell phone i was like okay. hey turn off your phone like so like i'm i have no problems if it's like if i notice that other people around me are having a tough time like it's not just me being annoyed specifically uh mm-hmm. then i'm i'm happy to say something uh, the the thing that brought this to mind was kind of in recent weeks uh you and i and Brittany went and saw megan like yeah. the robot horror comedy yeah and there was a guy behind us that was just like perfectly in the middle of like, I kind of want this guy to shut up, yeah. but he's also having a great time. He was laughing even when the movie was like not expecting anyone to laugh. Yeah. It's like, what is this guy like mocking the movie or is he ju- vibing with the movie and he's just having a fun time. It feels like he can say, talk to the movie and just have a good, good night. Like I didn't want to ruin his vibe because it's like, He's not helping me, really. I'd rather this not happen, but eh, it's the risk you take in a theater, you know. No, it's totally – and that's the thing, right? It's like you can never really guess where somebody's at. Yeah, it's a a tough one when people – because some people, like, they – some people laugh inappropriately. I know that when I saw Avatar 2 recently, I laughed many times inappropriately. At at the movie. At the movie. (laughs) And there was probably someone in that movie theater that was, like, really having a great time. This is a great bit right here. Yeah. Yeah. And I was there laughing. I mean, I wasn't loud about it. It was, like, a chuckle. Like, oh. Or, like, uh. Like, that happened. I didn't go, uh, one time. (laughs) Groan. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Audibly groan. Um, So, I get it. It's the... For me, it's, like, the insistencies of, like, people that pull their phones out and full brightness in a movie theater... Uh, catches my eye every single time. Like I just, where it's kind of like, why, why are you here? Like, what yeah. are you? Yeah, it's people that are having full on conversations with the person beside them, but not even attempting to whisper. Like, if there's a whisper going on and it's they're going on too long, it's like, okay, this is annoying, but I'm not gonna say anything. It's the people that are like normal talking volume, just talking while the movie's happening. That I'm just like, sure. I have no space for this. 
I think I I tense up when it's like there's some really chatty people during like the previews or something. Yes. Even it's like I really hope this doesn't carry into the movie, and it it usually doesn't. It usually, but doesn't. but there you know I kind of care about the previews, but there's people that don't care. It's no. ads, or you know. they've seen them a million times. Like they might be there more than we are, and that therefore they yeah, seen like that. they've seen this soloist trailer 19 times because it was delayed. We also saw everything. the soloist trailer 19 times. That's what I that it it played for a year. I swear. <laughs> Because it kept being delayed, and they didn't re-edit the trailer. So it did play for a year. Yeah, I've seen every beat of this. For me, it's like I just sometimes don't want to see a trailer because I want to watch that movie with the freshest of eyes. So So I'll, like, turn away and talk 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 about something. Because, like, I know an M. Night trailer dropped while we were watching Megan, and I was started talking to you, and you're like, oh, you don't want to watch this? And I was like, I don't want to see this trailer because I don't want to know too much about this because it surprises his game, right? Yeah, Yeah, I think a poorly edited trailer things like that exist um the the one the one i kind of gave a pass to and didn't really find a problem was we went and saw a season of the witch like the nicholas cage questionable (laughs) medieval action drama or whatever we did see that and there was just a guy drunk yelling and just just like just always throughout the movie movie, i was like we we give we didn't give a we gave a pass to it, but somebody else didn't because that guy. That's got... what I mean. Yeah, we. I was like, you know what? This is totally an okay movie to be drunk <laughs> at. That's fine. And then as we left the theater, they're like, "Oh my god, I'm so sorry." And they were like giving out passes. Yeah, we got we. That was a great night because we were just like because somebody else went and complained. A bunch like of that teenagers... guy made our experience better, and we got a free ticket <laughs> yeah, for a future movie. Because a bunch of teenagers. Here's the thing: I worked in a movie theater. The amount of things that these adult managers would expect these teenage, like, 16-year-olds to do, that, like, there was times where, like, I was asked at 16 years old to go and tell a, a person to be quiet or get out. And I was like, I'm a 16-year-old kid. Who's listening to How am I supposed to, to confront an adult who's bigger than me <laughs> yeah. and, like, chastise them? Luckily, a lot of people are kind of within that realm of politeness that they don't want trouble. So as soon as trouble happens, they kind of stop. Um, okay. But, like, yeah, like, a teenager is going to go and approach a drunk, drunk dude to carry him out. Like, that's... That's not set up for a good situation. Clearly a bouncer. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, we yeah. saw a silly movie with this drunk person, and then we got a free movie out of it. So that kind of just worked out in our favor. Best of both worlds, yeah. I guess. Um, yeah. A really negative one that still really sticks out in my mind. I went to go see uh, the Thursday night, late night, like 1030 screening for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 when it came out. Okay. Yeah. And... There's this guy who brought his two toddler age children to this movie. Hmm. Okay. And they had zero interest in watching this movie. Zero. Were they walking around? Or Running. Toddling and around? Talking and playing tag and just all these things. Multiple people went and complained and they were just like multiple managers came in. And we're like, hey, like you need to be keep your kids quiet. And you, he, you need he would to stop parent them. a little bit here. He would stop them for that period of time, and then it would just start up again. Man, that sucks. Yeah. Like, and that was your first time seeing Guardians too. I had to go see it a second time because it was so just like distracting, disruptive. Yeah. yeah so that that blows. I was just really okay. grumpy with this dad because it was like, why are you bringing a four year old to this movie at ten thirty at night on a Thursday, like? Oh, I really want to see it. I mean. Okay, well, my next story. I think I told you this one. I don't think I talked about it on the podcast. Uh, back in October, my buddy and I, we went and saw a double feature one night. We went and saw Smile and Halloween Ends. Okay. 
uh, R rated horror films. Well, Snow Smile is a PG 13, 14 name movie, so it's not R. Oh, is it really? It's, okay. It pushes that line pretty hard. So in this movie, the movie's going along, and beside us sits down this, like the whole front row in front of us is a giant family. And one of them is a kid who's like seven years old. And mm. they're sitting down with this family. And this movie's happening. And then the first real piece of real horror is this like therapy scenes happening. And this girl is scared about because she's seen the smile people. And then it finally takes her and she takes this giant shard of glass. And on camera, without the camera panning, it was fully on there, cuts into her face and then cuts in a giant smile into her face, like tearing up her face. And this kid, the moment this started, this kid screamed at the top of his lungs, covered his ears, closed his eyes, got up and ran out of the theater. That's a big movie reaction. Yeah. Okay. Like terrified out of his mind, bawling his eyes out. Wow. Mom gets up and follows him. They continue to have a conversation in the hallway, like in the movie theater. Like just going, heading towards the door. Yes. Not out. She says, I'm not leaving. So you need to sit here and be quiet while I finish the movie. So this kid sat in the hallway while his mom went back and sat down and watched the rest of this horror movie. And this was the first scare. So there's like an hour left or over an hour, hour and 15. It's a long <laughs> movie. It's almost two hours long. Um, Jeez. Okay. And there's many sounds and you can hear this kid whimpering and like stuff like that. Cause it'd be scary sounds and stuff like this happening. I don't, I don't remember ever like, I, I was a pretty fragile kid for a while there, but it would be like home movies and I just leave. Yeah. The one I've talked about before was like Batman Forever or whatever. And it's just like, hey, you just got to figure it out. Like my dad was just kind of like, because it was the opening scene with like the boiling acid or whatever. Sure. It's just like, but that is, listen, this is what we're doing. So my buddy and, and I. And that's a goofy movie. After my buddy a and I, bit, we had to know? talk, right? We had to talk about like, there is a yeah. balancing act of like, you want to show your kids movies and it's, it's okay for kids to be scared in safe situations. Yeah. This was not that. Like, this was this kid being traumatized. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, like, I was like, my buddy who has kids was on the verge of just, like, cussing her out, like, actually blowing up at this mom when she came back. Yeah. In. And going, and we were like, he considered going talking to managers and be like, hey, we have a kid unattended in this hallway. Uh, they need to, like, someone needs to look after him. Yeah. So this was piggyback on. We went and saw Halloween Ends, which is an R rated movie. And in walks the uh, same no, family, no. different family, no <laughs> Sorry, different yeah. family with even younger kids. Wow. There was five, six and seven year olds in this group and they were clearly foster kids because it was a whole giant group of kids, different like backgrounds with two very uh, Caucasian parents and these kids watched this movie and my buddy who is, was in the process at the time of considering like looking into being a foster parent, there's like most of the kids in the foster parent system have like trauma related lives. Mm-hmm. And these parents brought them to Halloween ends where like a kid gets blowtorched to his face off. Like, or in the opening scene, there's like a babysitter situation where a kid yeah. falls to his death horribly. horribly. And my, my friend and I thought that was really wild. But you had adult. a great time. You're an yeah. adult in your 30s. You're not a yeah. six-year-old. Many Halloween films in, so... Yeah, yeah you're not yeah. a six-year-old. That was, like, the two... That night was, like... That shook my, like... 
I'm I'm probably not going to be quiet anymore. Like around man, situations. I even remember being like 11 and seeing like a Sleepy Hollow trailer and be like, this is kind of creepy. I don't like. Well, it. okay, like when I was in <laughs> but... grade five, we would go and do my buddy's house was the house where we'd go to Rogers, and his mom let us watch anything. So it was like that's mm-hmm. where I saw all the Freddy movies, all the Jason movies, all of these movies that we were not supposed to watch. But I was in grade five, I was 10, and I was scared and I was traumatized. I shouldn't have watched it. But we're talking about kindergarten, grade one age kids here. I I want to I kind of want to grant a little more power to a theater situation too. Like it's all all encompassing, you know. If you're in a in a movie theater yes. with a scary movie, that's a little more intense. hundred oh, percent. Then like you know you have the power to turn it off or turn you the have the lights down, on, right? The go do something. Is, the screen is a little smaller and it's not so encompassing. The sound isn't all in, all around you, right? Like, yeah, yeah. So, so no, that, yeah, that sounds pretty terrible. So yeah, that and that took away from like our, our enjoyment of even watching these movies because we're sitting here being like, so it's like There's one of those like things. A bad I look back, social situation happening. Well, I look well, back now yeah. and I'm like, I I should have said something. Like we should have got up and went and talked to somebody because it just was not okay. That's not the spirit of the rating system. Yeah, <laughs> like just because it's 18A, yeah, you can bring a five year old to an 18 year movie if you're over 18, but should you like? Should you? Anyways, so depressing end. Uh, I have, I have gotten yelled at, like because for laughing I, too much. No, no, no. For um, like when I called somebody out on it, somebody was like, "What are you gonna do about it?" Type of thing. Okay. And so I got up and talked to a manager. But this, this is not like a positive. So I'm trying to think of like positive, fun versions of these stories. The season of the witch <laughs> one was the fun one. I it had. was. I guess I should have saved it. Was, it. <laughs> it was the fun one. We got something out of that one. Uh. That being said, I guess another weird movie experience, but it's like, we had a good time. Drag Me to Hell happened. Nobody was escorted out, but we definitely were like, saw waves of people leaving. We were just kind of seeing an exodus over the course of that movie where it's just like, man, I guess people are really not digging this because there's just groups leaving as it went on. Like throughout, Uh, like consistently throughout the whole movie. Yeah. Which is weird. Anyways. Sorry, I didn't go. mean to get so. I feel bad that we're just ending so like dourly. Uh, it's okay. I had no way of predicting it. So. <laughs> well, I mean, I should probably just make a point to act. Like sometimes I like the spontaneity of the not knowing the answers, like not knowing the question. But you're doing a, a much better job lately of actually writing them down. So I should probably actually read them. <laughs> oh well. So there you go. Movie theater etiquette. Where's the line? Uh, if you want to let us know, you can email. Uh, this this is not what I wrote here. I'm just gonna <laughs> thing. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to send in a question or I guess a story about about movie theater shushing, uh, you can email ryanokv.ca or nathanokv.ca or reach out to us on co-host Hive and Instagram OKVO Podcast. Uh, next week we are setting out for Vietnam and we were soldiers. A historical drama written and directed by Randall Wallace. I guess he's the Braveheart guy. He's a Braveheart uh, writer, yeah. yeah. The writer, yeah. The other Braveheart guy is in the movie. Yes. Uh, until then, I'm Nathan. And I'm Ryan. Have a great week. Okay.